0: Well, good morning. Let's go to our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We are at verse 14. We've extended beyond verse 12 because this is good stuff that God is teaching us. We're looking at some phrases in the scripture that just jump out and help us become the people God wants us to become. I I must tell you that I am so thankful and proud of our youth group. Uh, I went to Whispering Pines on Friday night and preached for our youth retreat. That retreat has extended into this morning. And so I imagine they're packing up right now. They've had a service this morning and they're headed back from Whispering Pines. We had a record attendance of participation. And this group is a fantastic group, very respectful, a great team of adult leaders. I think Matt and Zoe Malone are doing a great job as our youth pastor. So that's just a good report. And good things are happening. Here's the scripture I want to share with you today. Romans chapter 12, verse 14, it's a phrase that sums up a major theme of Jesus and the early church and should be a major theme for our lives today. The scripture says this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. We're going to unfold that this morning, but before we get to that part, I want to show you a book that was given to me a few years ago. It's from the author of the famous movie slash book, Seabiscuit. Uh, this is called Unbroken. I was given this as a Christmas gift. How many have read this book? Anyone in here? I know it was a New York Times bestseller. I was given this book for Christmas and this was like the perfect time to receive a book because between December 26th and January 2nd, I mean, that is precious, extended, unstructured time for a lot of us, right? So this is a time for me to dig into a good book, not a book for sermon prep or a book for school, but just an enjoyable read. And so because I respected the author, I had heard great things about this book. I had seen it climb the top seller uh, list, Uh, all types of different recognition was happening. I started getting into the book and can I just be honest with you? It was just... Downright depressing. Uh, Louis Zeppinelli, he was shot down during war War World War II, excuse me, and spent forty-seven days adrift in the Pacific Ocean. And so this story unfolds, and guys, it was hard to read. Because this guy went through unbelievable hardship. And you're hearing all, you're reading all types of stories about sharks and about dehydration and about all the physical effects of being in the water that long. And here it is, I'm reading this thinking, wow, this is a tough, tough read on my vacation week. I need something happy and uplifting and good. But three quarters of the way through the book, it starts to turn, or at least I thought it turned because he was rescued happened to be by the Japanese and not the Americans, but at least he's not in the water anymore. At least he's going to survive being adrift at sea. And so he's rescued. But unfortunately for Louis, he went to the most notorious POW camp in Japan. And there he was persecuted. And he was, he was singled out above all the prisoners in very sadistic uh, very demeaning torture. There was one prison guard who was famous. His nickname was The Bird. He was called that by the American and Allied prisoners. And The Bird did not enjoy killing people, he enjoyed causing people to suffer as much as they could up to the point of death. And because of Louis' because of his strong will, he was singled out by the bird. And until that prisoner camp was liberated in 1945, Louis was near the point of death. And though he was rescued, but the story didn't end there. I thought now the the, the book's almost over. This is good. The war is over. But then the rest of the story is a story that's common today of our veterans who suffer the side effects of difficult experiences in war and they have flashbacks, depression. In this particular case, Louis struggled with alcoholism. He struggled with visions of the bird, this one particular prison guard who attacked him and he was angry and bitter and was not having a good life. But around 1950, Louis Zepinelli went to a Billy Graham crusade that his wife took him to. And he responded to the invitation for a life with Christ. And his life was transformed. He he gave his life to Christ and the gospel invaded all of the hardship and all the bitterness that he had experienced. And he went back to that same prison camp in Japan and he sought out the bird. And unfortunately the bird, this prison guard had committed suicide himself. And when Louis found out this information, he said he was filled with something he thought he could never have towards his tormentor. He was filled with compassion because he realized that he was just another human being in some ways not unlike Louis himself. That is the power of the gospel. I'm sorry if that was a spoiler alert for some of you who hadn't read the book, but I figured after a few years, I emotionally invested in this book for 430 something pages and it was going bad. And at the end, the last chapter, to my surprise, Jesus and Billy Graham and the gospel came in, not to equate those two, but that familiar name helped bring life to that story. And you see that only God could do this. As I was reading the story, reading this book that I showed you, I thought, how in the world is this story gonna have a good outcome? How in the world can someone who endured such a terrible, terrible trial in the ocean only to have added to that unspeakable persecution? How is this going to be a redeeming story for a man who's dealing with the side effects of a horrible, horrible evil? The gospel came in. The message of Christ came in, Jesus came in and Jesus turned around the story and that's what he's done for you and that's what he's done for me too. And so it is that one of the messages we understand the gospel is something that we have an opportunity to do that we could not do on our own is to do what Romans 12, 14 says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now that word "bless" there is not talking about just something general, just a general sentimental feeling. That word "bless" is talking about a verbal reaction. Bless, the Greek word is eulogio, where we get the word eulogize. When you give a eulogy at, at, at a funeral, which I do probably on a monthly basis, that's part of the memorial service or the funeral where you speak well of the person who has passed away. You 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 speak you, you speak of all of their positive characteristics. And this is exactly what the scripture is saying. Speak well of. The ver the, the verb actually means to swell with good things to say. Speak well of those who persecute you. Speak well and do not curse. Cursing here is not limited to those five or six four letter words that we've labeled as taboo. And it's a good thing not to say those words, but this has much, much bigger meaning than just a vocabulary list. This is talking about when we speak about someone in a way wishing they were being harmed, speaking doom upon a person, speaking negative things upon a person, the Bible says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Now I started this sermon maybe 10 days ago. And as this, this Sunday approached us, preparation increases in intensity. And even the morning of, I'm still thinking about it and analyzing it and praying about it. But this was picked some time ago. And just Friday, I had a missionary correspond with me. And they, they told me this, If you have time, Aaron, would you pray this Sunday? Because this Sunday, November 3rd, is prayer for the persecuted church Sunday. This had kind of slipped off my calendar and just truthfully, everybody has designated every Sunday something. It's really true as a pastor, every Sunday is supposed to be a special recognition for something. So I wasn't aware that November 3rd was prayer for the persecuted church Sunday, but yet, This scripture was the text the Holy Spirit had us going to. So we are going to do that. The Lord helps us remember before the service is over, we're gonna pray for the persecuted church. Meaning this, there are people alive right now, today on this planet, breathing the same atmosphere and the same air we're breathing, who are under persecution because of the message of Jesus Christ. There's churches that are meeting, which a church is just a gathering of people in homes or in other public places or in secret places with the threat of punitive damage that could come their way. Their very lives, their very livelihood could be taken away from them. Their very lives could be taken. Their family could be split up. That's happening right now as I preach, right now as we speak. And now statistics, statistics can be fuzzy. And there are some impressive statistics out there that I looked at this week that I could share with you. And some of them have a little bit of debate on the accuracy because when you're talking about such a large scope of numbers, it's hard to know how many are really being persecuted today. But this is a fact and I want you to hear this. More Christians are being persecuted right now than at any other time in the history of the world. There's almost 30 countries that sociologists have identified as countries where Christians are under persecution. And so we're gonna remember them today and we're gonna pray for them today. And I wanna say this, is that our country is not perfect. And I don't believe we should idolize our country in the church and make patriotism at the same level as worship. But I must say, we are blessed to be in a country that understands the principle of religious freedom so that every man and every woman can choose who to worship in this country. And we are benefactors of that. The fact that Our forefathers had the wisdom to write in the constitution and the bill of rights, that we're a free people and we have the freedom of religion and we do not have a state imposed religion pushed upon us. We choose as individuals who to worship and many, many families, not just soldiers, but families of soldiers have made significant sacrifices to protect those liberties. So, I thank God for that because I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to preach the gospel under persecution. I don't know what it's like to have my family threatened if I preach. I don't know what it's like to to know I'm gonna lose my job if I keep preaching. I don't know what it's like to to know that I'm gonna go to prison and it's it's a real possibility if I preach the gospel but all over the world Men and women are under that cloud. So how does that apply to you here in this free country? I need to tell you something today, that every single one of you, if you're gonna live for God for a long time, I don't know what your persecution, but here's the first thing I wanna share with you today. Persecution will occur for you. Persecution will occur. That's not fun telling you that that doesn't make me feel good to tell you that. But as your pastor, I want you to know that. Even though we may not, we may, may not be oppressed physically, like other parts of the world, there is some level of persecution that will occur in your life if you're gonna live for God over a long period of time. That's just a fact. Here's a powerful scripture that lets us know that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. All those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, that's, that's a huge statement, guys. All those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I tell this to you today as your pastor because I care for you. It would be unrealistic. It would be untrue. It would be Damaging if I said, Hey, if you follow Christ, everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be easy. Now, it is true that great things will happen in your life for following Jesus. I mean, there is a peace that passes all understanding when you follow Jesus, there is joy. There are benefits that have happened in my life and in my family because of Christianity. Because of Christianity, this world is a greater place. Because of Christianity, there are hospitals and orphanages and education started out of the Christian faith. Out of the Jewish and Christian faith comes the basis of our laws and our justice and our sense of justice. So much, much good has come from Christianity. But if I told you that being a Christian, everything was gonna be perfect, that would be the equivalent of sending your kids to college and saying, hey, go off to college because it's gonna be easy. I mean, it's gonna be easy for you. You're never gonna have to study. You're never gonna get tested. You're never gonna have financial challenges as a college student living on a budget for the first time. You're never gonna have relational conflict in the dorm room or in the apartment. No, college is perfect. No doubt that going to college can be a great experience. You meet new people, you grow, you mature, you get educated, you have life experiences, but it's not all good. It's ch- there's challenges too. So it is with the Christian faith. There, there is nothing better than to follow Christ. I mean, that's the whole purpose of our existence. And I, I want to encourage you to do that. And probably you're here today because you want to do that. But I must warn you, listen, if you wanna live a godly life, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be a level of persecution. I don't know what that means to you. For you, that could be that because of an ethical decision, you didn't get a raise or didn't get a promotion at your job. It could mean because you're following Jesus, you weren't able to marry someone you wanted to marry or date someone you wanted to date because you knew your faith was not compatible. It could be because you're following Jesus, there's been some kind of social ostracism and there, there's some kind of, of exclusion from a group of people important to you. I don't know what it is for you. But at some level, there'll be some level of persecution. And that's just how our faith is. And the early Christians were very aware of this. That's why Romans twelve fourteen was just a synopsis of what Jesus had said many, many places. Let's look at Matthew chapter five, verse 10. Matthew chapter five, starting at verse 10. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, this: those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and f- persecute and falsely say every kind of evil because of me. You are blessed. Going on, it says this, be glad, rejoice. Your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, thank God we live in a society now where corporately we don't deal with this. You know, and and I just find it we're able to assemble, we're able to worship, we're able to choose our religion. There's some petty little things here and there, you could argue with me, cultural wars going on. But by and large, we're free people. But, but there will come an individual test for you. There will come an individual test for you. And I want you to file this away in your mind or let this deposit in your spirit because there's gonna come a time where in your own expression, in your own way, you're gonna have to take a stand for Jesus, a stand for your faith and some level of persecution will come your way. And I want you to know at that time that, that you haven't done anything wrong and God has not abandoned you and God, you're not out of God's will. Instead, you're right there in the company of prophets. You're part of an heritage. You're part of an inheritance. You're part of a stream of people who have always said, we will stand up for righteousness and godliness. And it is a joy to be persecuted for the name of Jesus. It's a joy to be persecuted. And if you can understand that now, it'll prepare you for the days to come. Persecution's gonna occur. It's gonna occur in a different way for you than it does for me. It's gonna mean something different for us at age 12 than it does at age 52. Persecution means something different. So your children are going through a level of persecution now that is very real to them. And you're going through a level of persecution or you can at some time, it's very real to you, but God is going to prepare you for that. Now, once that persecution comes, there's some inevitable reactions that will happen. We are a verbal people. And so when stuff happens to us, we're gonna talk about it. When stuff happens to us, we are going to talk in the last couple of years, in in recent months, there was this really popular uh, political talk show host who got in some trouble because he was saying lewd remarks to female co-workers and the evidence was pretty strong. I don't want to tell you exactly who it is or what network they were with, but I'll give you a hint. It, It was a network that had something to do with the Fox. I don't know if you can put those together or not, but that's the network if you if you can use deductive reasoning, and this guy had had slammed everybody i mean he he was he still is one of these guys who questions everyone ask all these questions is real aggressive and now he was being asked about his behavior and he was being called he was being called into accountability for improper work relationships so I happened to see this show the particular day he was being interviewed, and the question to him was, is this true and why did he do it? However that question was phrased and I'm ready to hear this guy's reaction. He, he put everyone else on the hot seat and now he was on the hot seat. And he said this, he said, hey, what can I say? Got a big mouth. That's all he had to say. After, after all that he did and, and all the angst he had put his guests through, he just said, hey, what can I say, I've got a big mouth and kind of just moved on down the road. Truth is this, is that we've all got pretty big mouths, don't we? because we're verbal people. And we're all going to respond. So if persecution is going to occur, here's the second observation today. A verbal word will be the response. You're going to respond to that persecution. When someone persecutes you, when someone takes you off, when someone insults you, when someone speaks falsely against you, There's gonna be a verbal reaction to that. That's just who we are. That verbal reaction might come through our thumbs as we text, might come through our fingers as we type. It might come through our words that we speak, but there'll be words that will respond. A lot of times we can repress those words. We can avoid those words. We can act like we're not going to use those words, but eventually they're gonna come out we're gonna have words that respond to our persecution. And I'm going to remind you today, through the scripture, through Romans 12, 14, that you are to bless, to eulogize, to say good things, and not to curse those who persecute you. When you have to respond to persecution, you will have to respond with words. Romans 12:14. let's put that up real quick. So we can see it more. Bless those, eulogize those, speak well to those who persecute you. Bless those, eulogize, speak well, and do not curse. Here it is. This is what's before us. Now in the Eastern culture where this was written to, in the Middle East, people take their words very seriously. Back in scriptural days and now today too. Sometimes we're real sloppy with our language. And, and we're sarcastic and because of the gift of sarcasm or the curse of sarcasm, whatever it is, sometimes we're real sloppy with our words. And I've been the, the guiltiest person in the room about that. But the truth is our words have a power. And those who first read these scriptures understood that, that words have a power, words have influence on them. And those in the culture, the Eastern culture, they believe that a blessing has power over it, and a curse has power over it. And this comes out in scripture in one of the classic scriptures of uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12. Proverbs 18:12 says this life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. That's verse 21, actually. Proverbs 1821. Think about this. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. This is an important scripture. We have to understand that our words have power. And Jesus gives more depth to this. Because I want you to understand when I say our words have power. It doesn't mean that we're the powerful ones. And we're creating our reality by what we say. That's very humanistic. And there there is a, a slant on Christianity that. I believe it's incorrect. It's almost correct, but it's incorrect. That that communicates this. Whatever I say, I'll get. As if, you know, Dorothy and The Wizard of Oz, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And if I say it enough, I'm gonna get home. So so it is that. We're like, I'm, I'm gonna be rich. I'm gonna be rich. Or I'm gonna be healed. I'm gonna be healed. I'm gonna be healed. Or I'm gonna be happy. I'm gonna be happy. As if, we have the power. And can I just tell you that that's putting the power in us, not our power in God? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. But Jesus shows us why this is the case. Because when Jesus was teaching in the book of Matthew, we see Matthew chapter 5 again, excuse me, uh, Matthew chapter 12. He's talking about recognizing false prophets and good prophets in verse 33. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, this is Jesus talking. Jesus could get aggressive here. Brood of vipers, that's like a pit of snakes, all right? Just in case you hadn't heard the term brood of vipers in a while, I haven't either. That's like a hole full of snakes. That's not a good thing, right? You with me? Okay. Bird of vipers, how can you speak good things when you're evil? Now, here's the phrase that I want you just to get. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, not because we have magic words or because we have power within ourselves or we are able to create our own future. Life and death are in the power of the tongue because Jesus shows us because our mouth reflects where our heart is our mouth reflects where our heart is and our mouth is the barometer it's the measurement it's the it's it's what indicates what's happening in our hearts so it is with my wife Beth here in the front row in the beautiful purple blouse which I have a purple shirt too which that was an accident but anyway but it's, it's an honor to match you today honey I just want you to know that Okay, no one thinks this is funny except you and I. I was trying to give y'all some comedy relief here. I'm like talking real hard about persecution and snakes and all this. So I thought I'd throw in a little joke. But if I'm sitting here and, and, and I'm, I can't say one nice thing to Beth, even though she's my spouse, I can't say anything positive to her, can't encourage her, I'm overly critical of her. We, we've actually been through some phases early on in our marriage where that was the case, honestly my heart's not right towards her. That's what's going on here. My mouth is a reflection of my heart. I've been in other situations when my heart wasn't right towards another person and I could not say one nice thing about that person. I couldn't bear to let it pass my lips. Not only that, I got to the point where I couldn't hear one nice thing about that person. This, this was a reflection of my heart. Moving on into the, the next part of the scripture a good man produces good things from his storehouse of good, and an evil man produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. The mouth is the overflow of the heart. Let me give you a safe example. This is something that's very much frustrated me over the last 12 years. When it comes to the political realm, uh, people are so hypocritical. When George W. Bush was our president for eight years, if someone didn't like George W. Bush, they wouldn't say one good thing about him. I mean, they couldn't bear to say one positive thing about him. And now over these last four to five years, if people don't like Barack Obama, they, they, they can't say one positive thing about him. I mean, I've tested this. Barack Obama, for all we know, has been faithful to his wife, loves his kids. Isn't that a great thing? You know, people are so bitter against him, they cannot even recognize that. And they were the same way with our last president, with George Bush. They couldn't recognize his faith, they couldn't recognize how admirable he led our nation right after September 11th in those early days. So, there, so there's no capacity to recognize the good in either of these men because it comes from the heart. It's, it's like a, it, out of the overflow of the heart, you can't even speak one nice thing. So I, I said this, that's a safe example because those guys are in Washington DC, right? And they're way far away. But what about the people we live with? What about our coworkers, right? What, what, about, what about the people we interact with? And if we can't say anything nice to them, can't say anything positive, can't say anything constructive, This is a barometer of our heart. It's a measurement of our heart. Our heart's not in the right place. And so it is with persecution. I mean, this is a great test that the scripture has for us. When someone has wronged you, when someone who has insulted you, when someone has treated you badly, do you have the ability to say good things about them? Now, I I want to make this really clear. When, when I prepared this message, and I prayed over this message, I, I do so with much humility because I recognize that some of you have been violated in ways that either I don't know or I don't understand. And when, when I talk to you about persecution, please hear me. I'm not saying, hey, all you people out there, you ought to bless those who persecute you. I mean, I don't have the moral authority to, to preach from a standard that, that you guys have been through persecution that I haven't been through. And so I I don't say this arrogantly, like I'm the expert here. And listen, you guys, you ought to bless those who persecute. I I want to present to you the scripture and just say, this is what makes Christianity different. This is what makes Christianity unique. This is what only the Holy Spirit can do. This is what a life in Christ can do. This is what, What the gospel did for the man, the story that I told you about and what's happened over and over and over again. And what this is, is a filter for our hearts. Those of you who have been persecuted and insulted after we close the service in a few minutes and you get in your car, I think it would be naive to to think, well, from this point forward, you're always gonna say positive things about them. That would almost even feel disingenuous. What I want this scripture to do is to be a filter that we're not just, we're not just reacting to life without any, any thought to what Christ has said or what the scripture has said. And we can realize that if we don't have the ability to bless those who persecuted us, that God needs to work on that from the inside out. Are you, are you with me on that? Do you hear my heart? This, this is God's word in our face like a mirror saying this is an area that you need the Holy Spirit. You need God's help because it's way too big for human will. It's way too big for human person, a human person, a human to do by itself. Here's the last phrase that I wanna share with you. A choice will be made. Persecution will occur. Words will be the response and a choice will be made a choice will be made in the book of Deuteronomy. I love this scripture, it's so helpful. Deuteronomy chapter 11 says, look today, I set before you a blessing and a curse. You guys see how that's connected to Romans 12, 14? Bless and don't curse. Look, I I, I set before you a blessing and a curse. There'll be a blessing if you obey the command of the Lord your God I'm giving you today and there will be a curse if you do not obey the command of the Lord your God. And you turn aside from the path I command you today by following other gods you have not known. So we have it before us a blessing or a curse. In the way we respond to persecution, we can bless and speak well of those people that we have to have God's Holy Spirit to do that, or we could just be like every other person and just curse them. And God will help you with that. See, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 scripture says, let no foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need to give grace to those who hear. Man, that's tough. That's why we need God, right? I can't do that in Aaron Allison's strength. I can't do that through my will. I can't do that through my discipline. But when I walk in the Holy Spirit's power, and I use his scripture as my standard and I let scriptures like Romans 12, 14 be my guidance in life and not just my opinion. Then I can live this, let no foul language come from my mouth, only what is good for building up someone according to their needs. Last scripture I wanna share with you, it's not on your screen, it's not in your notes. You're gonna wanna write this down or remember this, type it in your phone. Luke chapter six, verse 27 and 28. Luke chapter six, verse 27 and 28. This is Jesus speaking. But I say to you, listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you.